In our exposition of the gospel according to John, we have come to what I've entitled this morning, The Messenger of the Word. And I'm sticking with the concept of the word because we have seen, first of all, an introduction in the beginning of this book to the word. Then we proceeded from the introduction to last week, seeing that he showed us the work of the word, including the creation of the world. And now we come to the writer of the gospel, that is John, telling us the messenger of the word. And by God's grace, next week, we will come to the word made flesh. Very appropriate, don't you think, in the timing with the cantata next week and Christmas? Again, no planning on my part at all. The messenger of the word, and he's identified in verses 6 through 8. So let's take a look. The identification of the messenger of the word. In verse 6, we see right away there, is a, there came a man sent from God whose name was, and it tells us, John. John is the messenger of the word. This is John the Baptist, John the baptizer. He's not talking about the writer of the gospel account, that is John the apostle, nor is he talking about some other John, though John himself does not expand on the uh, word John there in verse 6, but as he talks about verse 7, the context makes it obvious. There's no need for us to go into a detailed uh, argument on it. It's very clear that it is obvious from the text that he's talking about John the forerunner, John the Baptist. And I want you to notice right away that John the Baptist, we're told, uh, this John in verse 6, he came as a man. He came as a man into the world. This is different from what we've already seen. In just the first five verses of this passage, we have learned that the word that is who we have already identified as Jesus Christ, was preexistent. He was preexistent before all creation. That is not the way John is presented. John is presented as a man who comes on the stage of time. He comes into this world which has already been created by the word. And this man comes, and he's going to come in, born in time, strictly as a human being, different from the word incarnate, different from the preexistent one from verse 1 of chapter 1, and he's going to come with a specific purpose. So the identification of him is that it's John the Baptist, the one who's going to bear witness. Also, verse 6, we see another significant thing that's brought to us immediately. It says that there came a man, we know that his name was John, and it says that he was sent from God. Very important instruction to us. He was sent from God. Like Moses, like the prophets, if you think, and I'm talking about the true prophets of God. If you think back, they were selected by God. They were sent by God with a purpose. The prophets, Moses, he even resisted, and he was even weak in many ways. And God said very clearly, no, Moses, you're the one that I'm sending. And that is also true as we look through the prophets. That is the condition that we find with John the Baptist in verse 6. Whether or not the people, and we, as we know, the Pharisees and uh, Sadducees certainly did not like John. In fact, as we'll see in a moment, Herod had him beheaded. So, uh, of course, at the request uh, of uh, 
a woman in the, in the particular situation. Nevertheless, clearly the record says that he was sent by God himself. God commissioned this man. God had sent this man. And we want you to realize that the importance of this, because as we open up our New Testament and we come to the fourth, fourth gospel account, and I've made that clear to you in other messages, what, what has happened here is there has been approximately 400 years of silence. I want you to think about that. There has been, the significance of John's coming onto the scene is the Old Testament was given for instruction, and now there has been silence from God. The people were still supposed to be honoring God. The people were supposed to be obeying God's word, and God was not giving them any further revelation at this particular time until John the Baptist comes on the scene. And in case you don't think that's so, turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. We'll come right back to John. Luke, the 16th chapter, and the 16th verse. I want you to see what it says. Luke 16, 16. It says, watch this, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until who? John. Before John came on the scene, the position of the prophets of the Old Testament and what the people had was the instruction of the Old Testament, and they were expected to follow it. Then when John comes on the scene, now watch this, verse 16. Since then, since when? John, he says, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. Now, I'm not here to exegete that at this particular moment. The point is this. John the Baptist is very significant, so John brings him in very early in the gospel accounts because he's already introduced us to the one who the gospel message is about, that is, the word. And he wants you to now see the forerunner because the people were supposed to be following the word of God, and I'm sure you're well aware of it, that the people, if you look at that 400-year gap, were involved in their own routines. Oh, they had the word of God, and they said they were the people of God, but they were going along in their routines. Many of them, not all, but many, were going through the ceremonies of the, of the temple. They were going through the motions and, and looking good. They were also talking about the Messiah, but very few were really looking for him. Very few were doing what God had said. And there was a, just a year of silence. And in case you think there's no rele relevance to that, we are there today. We are in a period in which we have now the New Testament and the entire word of God, and we're in, if you will, a period of silence, though there are claims of revelation from God, until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and he'll tell us some more things or uses in the tribulation the 144,000 and his two witnesses. We are in the same boat. We are in a period of which we have revelation. We have responsibility to respond to that revelation. And God is basically silent in giving us additional revelation and expects us to respond. And we are also living in a day and age in which many are going about their routine. Many are talking about Jesus Christ. Many are talking about professions in Jesus Christ. But 
the reality is that they're not anywhere near where they should be and don't even know it. The significance of this man is certainly seen, you can go back to John's account, you can certainly see the significance in what you had in your responsive reading in the very last verse. And it's an easy one to remember because it's, again, just like 1616, we have Matthew 1111. What is that? Listen to the testimony, now listen, of God. Among men, or people born of a woman, there is, listen, none greater than John the Baptist. Would you not like to hear that said of you? Standing before God, what an outstanding testimony. There was none greater. You mean Moses? That's correct. And if you're wise enough, you're going to say there is one. Yeah, but he was not just born of a man or of a woman. That's Jesus Christ. But of those who were only born in the flesh, there is none greater. And he goes on to talk about our position in the kingdom. Yes, I know in that passage. But the significance of this man is great. 400 years of silence, he comes on the scene, and there are none, including Daniel, including Moses, including David, who have been born in the flesh, who were greater by God's own testimony. So John is telling us that now there comes on the scene a person sent from God who is going to have a great significance, and there's no one that has been greater than him. And it's interesting because the world will be attracted to his message. Not everybody's going to like him, but the world is going to be attracted to his message, and many will give attention. Why? Back in John's account, John chapter 1. Not only was he sent from God, but it tells us now, verse 7, he came for a purpose. What was it? To be a witness. John was not only coming on the scene as a significant man, as a forerunner, of Christ, he was coming to be a witness. That is someone who would testify, someone who would give evidence of, someone who would affirm some things. And he is one that is going to deal with the testimony, and we will deal with his testimony, by the way, later on in this chapter. So I'll leave the, that part of John chapter 1 till later. But we can see very clearly that he's here to give a witness a testimony, evidence of what? Verse 7. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light. He came for what purpose? He came and was sent for whom? The scriptures are clear, verse 7. To bear witness of the light. Not just the light, it's the true light that he's referring to. And I believe that's the significance of it. He is coming with a purpose, not to draw attention to himself, but to bear witness to the light. That is the word. That's why I'm calling it in my message here. He is the messenger of, the subject is the word. He's the messenger of the word. He is the messenger of Jesus Christ. He is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. I am not going to turn to the passage in Isaiah for the sake of time, but Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, specifically talked about the fact that that one would come to prepare the way for the Messiah who would come on the scene. But what I do want you to turn to is Matthew chapter 3. Would you compare with me to Matthew chapter 3 for a moment? Because I want you to see what this witness 
what this pointer, if you will, was doing. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 is all I'll look at for now. Oh, I'm in Mark, sorry. In Matthew chapter 3 is what I want, but I opened my Bible to the wrong text. Matthew chapter 3, just the first three verses. In, now in those days, John the Baptist came. What's he doing? Preaching. Where? In the wilderness of Judea. What was he saying? Verse 2. First word, what? They had all the Old Testament. There was no revelation. They were carrying on their routine of services. They were talking about the Messiah to come. They were busy in their daily life. I'm talking about Jews. The people called the people of God. The first message to make him popular was repent. Why do you need to repent? Sin. Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 3. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah. And that's again why I didn't go back. Second reason I didn't. The prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. How did John the Baptist point to the Messiah? How did John the Baptist point to the word of God? How did John the Baptist point to what we've already learned in John chapter 1, the revealer of God, that is, the second person of the Trinity. He did it by, first of all, pointing to the Lord, but also, you notice that it says, by pointing to the lights. Why? Because people are in darkness. That's why. He's the true light. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, as we'll see in a moment again. And that is why he calls them to repentance. Because men were involved, men, women, involved in sin. And the first thing that he does to call attention to the Messiah is to confront sin. Confront sin. That's what he's to do. He exposed it. Listen to Mark. You stay right where you are. Listen to Mark chapter 1 carefully. Mark chapter 1. I'll just read verse 5. Listen to this. In Mark 1 verse 5 it says, talking about John the Baptist in verse 4, and all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Before you can come to the Messiah, you need to realize you're a sinner. Before the religious leaders could be turned around, they needed to see that they were sinners. Before the people could be turned around, they needed to see their own condition of sin. And the start of the message, even in preaching the gospel, Men sometimes don't, and women don't come to Christ because we don't want to talk about sin anymore. But sin is what we need to see in order to see a Savior, the need for a Savior. And he was involved, so much so that he even exposed Herod, who was the king. Listen to verses 16 and 17 of Mark 16. Um, listen to what he says. Uh, I got the wrong passage there. I'll have to look at it. I think it was Matthew probably 6. But at any rate, this when you know Herod, what happened was he was brought into conviction. Why? Why did he throw John the Baptist in prison? His, this is the passage that I was referring to. 
because he had said that you are living with someone that you should not be living with. And so Herod had him thrown in prison. The message was to turn him to Christ, he had to expose the sin. We have a great message to give. We have the gospel message to deliver. And we are to bring forth what? Exposing people's sin. Why? To make them feel miserable? Well, in one sense, yes. So they turn to the Messiah. And we are to called to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ according to Acts chapter 1. When he even said to his disciples, you'll be witnesses to me, both in Judea and Samaria and the othermost part of the world, right? We're to be witnesses as well. How do we do that? By testifying, but it includes the message of repentance. It includes having people turn from their sin. Why? Go back to John chapter 1. So that people might come to believe. As he goes forth as a witness, that he might bear witness of the true light as opposed to darkness, which I think is also dealing with, as I said, sin, because you look at his message. For what purpose? That all might believe through him. That people might believe. That our message might go forth to all mankind. That our message might go forth so that people might come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to believe. And at this time of year, as we talk about the birth in Bethlehem, we need to realize that we have a message that he came for a purpose. And that purpose was that so people could believe in him, also to satisfy the righteousness of God. Why? Because of sin. Now, you'll notice also in the account in verse 8 that it says he was not the light. That is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not the light. He didn't come to bear witness of himself. You and I are sent forth to be a witness for Christ. We're not here to bear witness to who we are. We are here to bear witness to who Christ is. We are to point people to Christ. And that's why we are not to be afraid of pointing out sin. Because that's what people need to hear. That they might come to the true light. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was not there for a following. One of the things that's most impressive to the church of Jesus Christ today, and to my knowledge, we don't have anything like that in New England that I'm aware of, but it is to have mega churches with big followings. And some, that's their emphasis, that they want to have 1,000, they want to have 800, they want to have 2,000. And you listen to the conversations, and that's what it's about. We have this many people coming. Really? So what? Praise the Lord for Cornerstone. They have a small little work right now that will grow. Isn't that true? Praise the Lord. There are works smaller than that. Praise God for that. We're not here to build up followings. John the Baptist, by the way, had to safeguard that. Why? I won't turn you to it, but I'll give you the reference. Easy to remember. Luke chapter 11, uh, 3 and John chapter 3. Luke 3, John 3. What do you find in those passages? Reference to the fact that his disciples said, hey, John, I'm paraphrasing. Do you realize that the one that you pointed us to, that people are following him? And you know what he said in John chapter 3 when we study it? He must increase. I must decrease. This is not about me. This is about him. Because that's why I came. He was sent by God. God's authentication was on him. Listen. Even in his death. While they thought that they were pleasing God and they were getting rid of somebody, God was in it all along. He 
was sent from God, had a message that people didn't like because it was true repentance to turn him to the true Savior. Why am I saying that? Here's why. You are a witness for Jesus Christ if you're saved. People might not like you sharing the gospel. People might not like you saying things about sin and the fact that they need to come to Christ and that there is a place called hell. But that is essentially a part of the, an essential part of the message of Jesus Christ. It's an essential part of the message of the gospel. And don't worry about what they think. You say, well, I might lose my job. I might get killed. Okay, so what? What does that do? Put you in the presence of God? It's not so bad. In fact, it's very good if you're a believer, right? He wasn't here to build up himself. He was here to point people to Christ. And that's why the, the subject of the messenger is verses 8 through 10, and it's the light. He wasn't the true light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. You and I have been left here by Jesus Christ, fellow believers, to bear witness to who he is. And our life is to be occupied as Christians with who Jesus Christ is. And it's to let the world see that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And to point people to him. This is not about me. And it's not about you. And it's not about following. And John the Baptist is the example. And he was an example in a period of silence in which he called people back. And in verse 9, it, by the way, I'll just mention this. It's a very complex text in verse 9. And if you don't think so when you first look at it, even if you look at some of your translations, for example, even in the, the uh, King James translation, it appears, if you look carefully at the English, that it's dealing with the man coming into the world and not Jesus Christ. From this particular verse, there's been all kinds of false doctrine brought into play, such as the inner, life that, inner light that's in man, Universal salvation has been brought into this passage. It's not dealing with it at all. The simplest way that I can give it to you without all the detail is this. I believe the emphasis is on the light coming into the world. Translation that I'm looking at, I think, has it right. There was a true light which coming into the world. Who is coming into the world? The true light. It's dealing with the incarnation. It's dealing with the true light coming in that John's going to point to. It everywhere fits the context. And what does he do? He enlightens every man. Every man? Exactly. That's what it says. In what way does he enlighten every man? And I don't think it's dealing with just the elect here. In fact, many people who sternly follow the idea and strongly of election, and I believe in that, would tell you that they cannot most of the time justify just having that it's just the elect here. It's every man. How does he enlighten every man then? Well, he's not dealing with universal salvation in verse 9. Why? We know that already because you've got to believe on him, verse 7. Because he's going to make the distinction in the context between verses 10 and 13. So he can't be dealing with universal salvation. Just as man has a conscience, Romans chapter 2, every man, God has given him that. So too by natural revelation, Romans chapter 1, has God made known to every man who he is and his power and some things can be learned about him. I believe also in this text, it is the incarnation, the true light coming into the world who enlightens every man in what sense? This sense, 
that as Christ, as the light of the world has come in, his shining in this world and illumining, illumining this world has affected every single man either to salvation or that will reject the light. And if you will, he's been enlightened by his coming in and will reject him. And one day every knee shall bow to him. So in a similar way that you have Romans chapter 1 or Romans chapter 2. And then he brings us to who are the children of God. The word and the children of God. Picks it up in verse 10. Let's follow it along as we wind it down here. He was in the world. Who was in the world? Not John the Baptist. The light. The true light. In the world. And uh, a lot is made about that. It is the first time we appear to see that word. The creation of God. The entire physical world. I don't think there's any reason to believe it any other way. Why? The context. All things were created by him. Nothing came into being apart from him. Verse 3. Everything was created. And then what? He came into the world. And then what happened? The world was made through him. We've already spent time on that because of verse 3. And what happened? The world did not know him. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. He creates it all. He leaves his throne above. He comes into his creation. Incarnation, verse 9. And what happened? As he comes in, verse 10, that which he has created does not even know him. Does the world know God? No. Unless God is able, and he is, to reveal himself. The world doesn't know him. It's an astounding statement. And let me just try to make it practical to you. It would be like somebody erecting a building. Let's say it's in Boston, this big skyscraper. And they're the ones that designed it. They're the ones that have put their money into it. They have it. They design it. All of a sudden, businesses get going, and people are renting out space and so forth. And here, the owner of everything, the one that's designed it all, walks in, and he's greeted at the door, and they don't even know who he is. You say, how is that possible? That's what happened with the creator of this universe. Why is that possible? Why do you think John preached repentance? It is because of the blindness of man's heart. Let me give you a few references. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. The world is blind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. He's blinded. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Not only is man blind, but Satan seeks to blind man from the gospel. You see? He came into his own as light. But man loves darkness rather than light. Man loves his sin. Man likes darkness and doesn't want the light to shine on him to show sin, to show truth, to show righteousness. So even in this world that you and I are living in, the Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world and the world didn't even know who he was. And you think back to Bethlehem. He was born in a stable and they didn't know it. God had to announce that he came in. What's worse than that, not only did he come to his own and he uh, come into the world and they didn't know him, verse 11, he came unto his own. 
his own, who is that? His own property would be known. That would be a good way of looking at it. That's what it means. Who's his own property? Israel. To make it simple for you. He came into his own people, those who were supposed to be the people of God, those who were supposed to be, according to Isaiah 43, the witness of the Messiah to come. And in the midst of the silence that had come on, were the temples still there? Were there, were there synagogues? Yes. Were there sacrifice of animals? Yes. Were there people talking about God? Yes. Were there people that were doing a lot of things religiously? Yes. Were there people that would say they were looking for the Messiah? Yes. Were there people that were saying they were living for God? Yes. And they didn't even see him. And they didn't even know him. Let me be just specific about the United States of America. We're living in the United States of America, unless there's somebody that happened to visit from a foreign country today. But we're living in the United States of America, and most people in the United States of America would say that they know God, those who believe in a God. And they're walking around, going to churches, they're walking around doing things religiously, and they don't know their creator at all. Jews didn't know. The world didn't know. Well, is it all lost? They didn't even receive him. But verse 12, contrast, to wrap it up. But as many as receive him, that's where you get the idea of receiving Christ in your heart that you hear about. As many as receive him, to them, watch this, he gave the rights. That's the good news. Watch this, though. To become the children of God. Are you a child of God because you've been born in the United States of America? Absolutely not. Are you a child of God because you've been born to Christian parents? Absolutely not. And I'll show you that in a second. How many times have you heard people in America, maybe you've done it yourself, I've been a Christian all my life. No, you have not been. No one has been a Christian all their life. We use the term Christianity loosely. There's going to be a lot of people that are shocked who say they are Christians when Matthew is fulfilled and Christ does come back and calls them to ourself, to himself. People, people have always said, won't it be a joy to see all those that you didn't expect to be in heaven and they are in heaven? The answer to that question is yes. But I heard this a long time ago and chew on this one. Won't it be a shock to look in heaven and see these people that you thought were going to be there, and they're not. Because they've just been playing a game. The good news is, as many as receive him. You mean I can believe on him? Watch, it goes on. God gives you the ability. He's got to do the work. God has got to do the work to enlighten us to the light. How do you know that? Look at verses 12 and 13 as we continue. Even to those who believe in his name. Now, is this just believing that he came in? Believing that he existed? No, it's believing everything about Jesus Christ. That's in essence what it is. And our times escaped us. But I'll put it to you this way. It's believing, believing in his name isn't just believing that he was born in Bethlehem. It isn't just believing that he died on a cross. It isn't just believing that he rose again from the dead. It's a personal application in the heart where I see that I am absolutely his message in need of repentance. I'm a sinner, lost, unable to save myself. 
not born a Christian all my life, who needs God to enlighten my eyes to a Savior, Jesus Christ, who satisfied God when he died on the cross, who came into the world because God loves me, who came into the world because God demands a righteous payment for sin, and only Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, could take my personal sin upon him and meet the satisfaction of God. That's what it means to believe on him, to have faith in him. That's what it means to receive him, if you will, earlier in the passage. It doesn't just mean to believe a bunch of facts about him. It means to rest your eternal destiny and your whole person in the work of Jesus Christ. And he sums it up this way, verse 13, and I don't have the time to spend on it but to say this. He makes it very clear. How does a person become a Christian? Verse 13, who are not born of blood. And that really, by the way, is a plural word. And I believe it's significant for this reason. That what he's trying to bring out here in the plurality, and I don't know why it's not expressed that way in English, but is it doesn't matter what your ancestry is because that's what the Jews were holding on to. It doesn't matter what your bloodline is. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter where the connection is. You see, the Jews said, I'm of Abraham. We'll see that later. If you were Abraham, then you'd believe on him. Well, we're of God. If God were your father, then you would have believed me. You're of your father, the devil, he said to them. That's pretty broad, pretty pointed. But it doesn't come by genealogy. Nor does it come, verse 13, secondly, by the will of the flesh, because I work hard for it. Salvation is not of works. I can't do something of the work of the flesh and obtain salvation. I can't just be good enough and get rid of all my sin by trying to be good. It doesn't work that way. And thirdly, not only is it not ancestry, not only is it not by the works of the flesh and the power of my doing things, nor is it for me to will it so. Look at verse 13. Nor of the will of man. How does a person come to believe? How does a person come to trust? How does a person come to receive? It isn't by ancestry. It isn't by good works. It isn't by my own will. But two words to close it off. How? Of God. God has got to do it all. You say, well, that's pretty tough to swallow. It's the only way it's going to happen. Because the true light came into the world and men love darkness. The true light came into the world and the world could not comprehend him. The world didn't understand him. He came even to his own people who he had chosen out as a selection, to his own possession, and they couldn't understand him or receive him. However, as many, is that a limitation? No. God, our message is to go forth to the universe. Our message is to go forth to all men, that Jesus Christ, the true word, the true light. And that's what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist went forth and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He exposed people's sin. And it didn't matter whether it was Herod or whether it was a Jewish leader who he turned around and said, you viper, why do you come here? Why do you come here? His message went to all of them because true repentance has to take place in the heart. If you're here without Jesus Christ this morning, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light that came into the world. He's the one John the Baptist pointed to. He's the one that we are to point to. And you cannot obtain favor of God 
our salvation by your ancestry, by being born in the United States of America, by being born to someone, by willing it so, or by trying to earn it. It only comes because God enlightens the heart and God draws you. Now, how does he do that? By the message of the gospel. So, fellow believer, we have a responsibility to preach the gospel. We have a responsibility to point others, not to ourselves, not to build up a following. Let God take care of that. Christ builds his church, not men. Let him build the church. Let us be busy about it like John the Baptist was, pointing, bearing witness to Christ and leave the rest to him by preaching the good news. What is that? That light came into the world. And even though men love darkness rather than light, that if they come to true repentance in their heart, is that a work they can do? No. It's all of God, verse 13. Were they born a children of God? No, verse 12. They get the right to become the children of God because God enlightens them and opens their hearts. But he does it through the foolishness of preaching. We are in the Christmas season. We are in a time right now that people are celebrating and talking about Christmas, and not many remember that regardless of the timing of everything, that it's all about God loving us and sending Jesus Christ to come into the world so that he could do the will of the Father, which means to satisfy his righteousness. And to all those who believe on him, he will give eternal life. You're here without Christ. And God's been speaking to your heart and opens up your understanding. Come to Christ. Believe on him. It's not by being religious. It's not by attending Fellowship Bible Church. It's not by attending any Bible church. You may love your church, but if you think that's going to win favor with God, it never will. If you think by trying to be good to somebody else, that'll win favor with God, it won't. Because you were brought up on the right side of the tracks and in the right family? No. It only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ and him opening your understanding. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today and you shall be saved. Fellow believer, go forth as a strong witness. Don't worry whether you lose your head. Point people to Christ. Everybody's testimony is precious. He's the example to it. Let's pray. Our Father in God, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for this witness of John the Baptist who was not concerned about the following he had. He was concerned about Christ. He was concerned about others coming to Christ and others knowing him. And Father, he went forth as a strong witness and testimony. Help us to have that in our lives as believers. And Father, we pray that if any have not yet trusted in Christ for salvation and truly are not a child of God and only become a child of God through faith in Christ, open up their understanding to the true light. They might repent of their sin and turn to Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. They might be forgiven and they might indeed become a child of God by your act and your work. We pray this in Christ's name.